Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Blair Osler. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, It's good to be here. Blair, as listeners may know, is returning for her fourth time. She was on episode 24. She's been on episode 335 and episode 396. And every time Blair comes on, I learn something and and she has great insights. And so she has written a book and we both felt it makes sense, sense for Blair to come back on the podcast and talk about her book. And our hope is that um, I, Blair can speak for herself, that this podcast just helps bring us together as the same human family. If you're a queer Latter-day Saint, the things Blair share will be helpful for you. If you're a local leader or parent and have parent responsibility or leadership responsibility for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, including those that are closeted, that the things Blair shares in this podcast and the things Blair has written in her book will help you help others. Is that okay for an introduction? Absolutely. No, I'm thrilled to be on here. I didn't realize, I thought this was my third time on here, but you're right. It has been four times and man, I'm I'm feeling like, I, I'm just feeling really grateful for the opportunity to come back on again. <laughs> and um, well, you have good stuff to say every time. Um, Blair, as I think our listeners may know, even though we share the same last name, we are probably related, but we're not like first or second cousins. So we haven't ever claimed to be closely related. Although Blair is somebody I deeply admire, respect, and really look up to. When I stepped in this place, Blair and her husband were and continue to be kind of mentors to me, a safe place for me as I was trying to figure out this space. When I stepped in four or five years ago, you were two of the people I first connected with. And maybe it's because I felt safe because you had the same last name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're like, I got you, Richard. I got you. Come on in. <laughs> that is funny. Well, tell our listeners the name of your book and just introduce your book to our listeners. Absolutely. Um, so the name of the book is Queer Mormon Theology. It's been out for a month now, and I'm really excited about the book because there's really nothing quite like it out there. It really is kind of a first of its kind. Um, There have been a lot of books that talk about the history of uh, Mormon LGBTQ relationships and issues and dynamics. Um, There's been a lot of personal narratives. There's been a lot of memoirs and a lot of um, how to be inclusive books. But um, there hasn't quite been a book out to say, hey, where, where do queer people fit in the theology? And there's been a lot of like folk theologies going around among queer Latter-day Saints and among straight Latter-day Saints and just all across the board. Um, Some of them are what I would consider to be really, really beautiful. And some of them are, I would consider them to be quite harmful. And so um, I really wanted to put together a scriptural and doctrinal based idea of where queer people could fit in Mormon theology. Um, it's, it's also interesting because it's, it really is a blending. A lot of people are like, I don't know what genre to put this in (laughs) because it, it comes at you with academia. Um, it also is very pastoral. I bear my testimony frequently throughout the book. Um, and it's also part memoir. Um, whenever I share, uh, a scripture or a reference about, Hey, this is how I see this in and this is what it could look like and academically analyze it. But then I always wrap it up with a personal experience because I really wanted these ideas to be able to be um, internalized for people to see them and grasp them. Um, 
I think sometimes in academia, which is very, very important, is um, that academia sometimes has, um, it, it can objectify the subject that I'm just writing about this thing over there. And um, I, I, I don't consider myself like as a queer woman, <laughs> um, bisexual, intersex, you name it, whatever. Um, I, I didn't see myself as a footnote or as someone's, you know, PhD thesis or anything like that. This is my lived reality. And so um, being able to combine academia and personal experience, I think really made this book accessible to a lot of people. Keep talking. I love that. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love to. Um, another thing about the book is it's been out for about a month now, and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. I would say about 95% of the feedback I get is positive. And um, I, I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I what I was expecting from this, but um a few of the groups that I was not necessarily expecting uh, positive feedback from that really showed up has been um, seminary teachers. I have had multiple seminary teachers reach out to me, read this, and BYU professors and be like, this is fascinating. Hey, could you answer this question? Um, and they had follow-up questions about like the way I interpreted, you know, queer Mormon theology. And um, in some ways in the book, I argue that queer Mormon theology is actually redundant. It's just Mormon theology. I'm just showing you a queer way of understanding it. Um, anyway, so with the feedback, um, really positive feedback from seminary teachers, BYU professors, a lot of positive feedback which has touched me the most is the trans, non-binary, and intersex community, because so often these perspectives are lost. Um, everything, you know, not everything, but a, a large portion of the narrative and focus tends to be on same-sex relationships, and um, there's more to the queer community than same-sex relationships. And so this book really dives into that full, big, broad spectrum of what it means to be queer. I talk about you know, asexual people, because I didn't want that to be left out as someone who's like, I'm bi. I see asexual people as like, wow, this is like the exact opposite of my experience. I really need to listen and tune in. <laughs> I don't get this. Um, and so it talks about, you know, how we can be more inclusive to people who are asexual, but it also goes beyond that. It also goes into, um, single Latter-day Saints that have a shared queerness in our culture. Like, what do we do with our single Latter-day Saints and things like that? Talks about that in here too. Um, but I think maybe the most important thing to cover first is the title. Good. <laughs> um, I had a, uh, a, a, a bit of feedback from a critic on the internet who said, I don't agree with your book. And I'm like, oh, fascinating. Yeah, which part? I'd love to hear more, you know, about your ideas. And they were like, I don't agree with the title. And I was like, oh, <laughs> if you're going to have a hard time getting past the title. I was like, um, the first chapter, I, I don't know if you got this far, but the first chapter is entirely dedicated to clarifying the title of the book. I talk about the word queer. I talk about the word Mormon. And I talk about the word theology. <laughs> And they were just like, no, I couldn't get past the title. I was like, okay. So <laughs> I obviously this needs a little bit of clarification on the podcast because I'm sure some people are hearing it right now. Or if you've been to Richard's podcast enough, hopefully it's not too uh, foreign for you. But um, 
So yeah, let's 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 break down the title. I'll give you some of the highlights. So the first word queer um, can be tricky for some people to um, uh, grapple with because in a lot of ways, especially for older generations, it's very much uh, this word that was a derogatory term. It's something to look down upon. It's something to be, um, that you don't want to be queer. And I actually grew up hearing that as well, too. I was called that in a derogatory way. Um, but the, the, the word queer has definitely been reclaimed in many ways by the LGBTQIA plus community. And um, I think it's really beautiful because so much of the problems I had in my personal coming out process is um, I knew that queer was something bad, but I didn't think I was bad. And so I was like, oh, I'm just not queer because that's that bad thing. And I really thought like, Richard, really in my head, I thought that like, oh, I'm sure I'm just totally normal. Like all girls who like boys also like girls too, right? <laughs> like I had this in my head, like this is totally normal, right? Um, no, because I just didn't have the vocabulary or understanding of what was going on. So it took a long time to put all these pieces together and be like, oh, not all girls like girls. Okay, yeah, no, me neither, totally. I was, I was just kidding, totally. <laughs> um, so the word queer is in there and it's definitely um, being reclaimed. Uh, another example of that is uh, Queer Nation started uh, a movement and it's we're here, we're queer, and um, just very much taking pride in uh, one's queerness. I use the word queer in the book three different ways. I use it as just a big umbrella term for everyone in the LGBTQIA2 plus P community. I don't know, there's so many letters now <laughs> um, in the whole community. And just for convenience sake, it's a lot easier just to say queer as opposed to all the other letters. Um, it's not that the letters aren't important and that we shouldn't discover them, but in the broader text, sometimes it's just easier to say the queer community. Um, the second way I use the word queer is just as a self-identifier. So for people who straddle multiple categories in the LGBTQ community, sometimes it can just be easier to just say, hey, I'm queer. <laughs> um, being someone who's intersex and bisexual or pansexual or non-binary fluid, I go by all those terms, um, but queer is just a lot easier, one syllable. The other reason I really like the word queer is because in some ways it affords a little bit of privacy. Like if I just say I'm queer, you know I'm a member of the queer community, but I don't have to give you like my medications, my, my, my relationship history or my surgical history or anything like that. It's just, I'm queer and that, that's good. You know, maybe we'll open up more about that later in a more organic way, but that's just how I identify. My, it's my personal identifier layer. And then the third way I use queer in the book is probably the most common way I use it, which is the way it was originally intended, was just something odd, strange, rare, or peculiar. And it worked out quite nicely because um, Mormons historically and presently have very much prided themselves on being a queer and peculiar people. Um, and I really took that idea and, and went with it. And we do have a lot of peculiar doctrines and beliefs and ideas about what the afterlife is like or all sorts of things. And so I was like, things are already kind of queer and peculiar anyway. Um, 
let's dive into these really weird, really weird questions. So those are the three ways I use the word queer. And just for anybody listening, who's just like, can I use the word queer? Yes, yes, you can use the word queer, just get really comfortable with it. And if you're ever in doubt about whether or not I should use it, um, ask yourself a couple questions. One, am I using it with a person who has told me, I don't like using that word? If the person identifies as gay or something else and doesn't like the word queer, don't use it in that situation. The second way is ask yourself, am I trying to put someone down? If you're trying to put someone down, don't use the word queer. All the other situations, use it, use the word all you want. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. Um, just no put downs. And if someone asks you not to call them that thing, just don't call them that thing. So that's the first word, queer. The next word, Mormon, which is interesting. because Let me just jump recent- in on queer just a second. because Oh, um, yeah, let's do that. Go for it. Um, I'm aware that, you know, I'm part of this generation that that was a negative word listener. So I've I've tried to, as I've stepped in the space, set aside prior assumptions or prior points of view and are letting LGBTQ define this space for me versus sort of the past or straight people. So it's really important for me to hear from people like Blair to define this word and accept her definition. It's a beautiful definition. Um, I think listeners might be aware that Sister Eubank introduced her friend Jessica Livier Hayes at BYU um, Women's Conference and used um, to describe her. I'm reading from the Church News article. I'm a young woman's president. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a return missionary, and I am queer. Um, I assume Blair's obviously aware of that, and so our church leaders are using that vocabulary. And I just think it's a sign of grace. It's a sign of understanding. It doesn't. We just, we're not selling out anything to just show the respect to let people be called what they prefer to be called. And I love the reasons you point out that queer is an appropriate term in multiple levels I didn't think about. Um, after Blair's podcast, we've recorded a podcast, but it'll be released after Blair of a queer Latter-day Saint. And um, he talks about this term also. So I think these will be good. These could be back-to-back podcasts, but he has some wonderful insights. And in his case, and maybe, you know, I'll let him talk for himself in the podcast. He doesn't go beyond queer. It's not an umbrella label um, to describe anything beneath him, which was the first time I've ever heard that. It's just his it's just his final landing spot as queer. There's no gay, there's no bi, there's no non-binary. And I want to go to that sub-label. I want to go, okay, I get that you're queer, but will you tell me the rest of the story? And he goes, don't try to film up, finish my story for me. Um, that's one of his points is we, maybe more me straight people, try to finish other people's stories. But do you want to comment any on any of that? I love that so much. I think it's absolutely beautiful. One of the other things that I love about identifying as queer myself, although all those other labels, I'm fine if people use those yeah. labels on me. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it makes sense to me. Um but the reason I will also love queer is because it's also um, it's it's big and it's fluid and it allows room for me to change and grow as I will. Um, I think sometimes there's so much pressure put on people in the LGBTQ community to be able to have like the set narrative of how they came out and how they experienced gender dysphoria or how they discovered whatever. And there's just so much pressure to have this perfectly crafted narrative. And um, 
I mean, I've been doing this for a very long time. I still do not have the perfectly crafted narrative. And I still don't, I don't even feel like I have like a, a landing spot. I don't know if there ever will be a landing spot for me. I mean, queer, I guess in a way is my landing spot and that it encompasses all those other things that happened in my past happening right now and probably happening in my future. And so I love that queer gives me the bigness and broadness and space to be able to just be myself however that happens and however that goes moving forward. I don't have a perfectly crafted narrative. It's just queer. And I love that. And I, listeners, I've noticed people move around within the queer umbrella and I don't roll my eyes and go, oh, here we go now. Um, I just think that's part of self-discovery. And I don't see people moving out of queer to straight. Um, I see just understanding that people aren't straight and figuring out where they are under that queer umbrella. And that we've heard David Archuleta come out this year. Do you want to talk about, I'll let you talk about David Archuleta and just how his journey, um, you know, there's implications of his journey for all of us. Absolutely. One of the things I loved most about David Archuleta's post on Instagram um, is um, he had this post on Instagram talking about his journey. And the two things I love most about it is that one, he acknowledged the kind of messiness and fluidity of his journey as an experience. He's like, I thought I was kind of gay, or maybe I was kind of bi, maybe it's just kind of asexual for me. And he in a lot of ways is giving people the permission to be like, look, I'm, I'm queer. I'm somewhere in there or whatever, but I, I don't have this all figured out yet. I'm still figuring it out. And I think that was very powerful and so beautiful. It just really gives permission to people to be able to be like, look, something is happening, but I I'm just not certain what that is yet. And I'll, I'll figure that out in time. The second thing I thought was so beautiful is the way I read it and the way I experienced his post, he was just extending out grace to people to recognize anyone struggling with um, their sexual orientation or gender identity and struggling with their religious community just to be patient and kind and loving. He didn't tell anyone to stay. He didn't tell anyone to leave. He didn't say, hey, this is my story. This is what you need to do. He just says, look, it's really confusing. It's really difficult and it's hard. So just be kind, patient and loving. And I thought that was really beautiful. It's really important that we don't take um, like celebrities who come out and be like, well, this is what you should be doing. And David didn't do that. And I really appreciated that. Talk about, I know we're going to get to the um, the next word here, Mormon or theology, whichever one you want to do next, but you mentioned a few minutes ago um, the trans, non-binary, and intersex community, and uh, share with our listeners why they are reaching out to you um, and are grateful for what you're doing. Um, I would say because because queer Mormon theology was written by me and I have a very weird bodily experience as an intersex person, it was very important to me that this didn't go unsaid, that it was strictly about sexual orientation or preferences or proclivities. This is very much about a material body experience, my spirit, my body and everything that's happening to me. And so when I wrote the book, um, so often so often these narratives get erased and I didn't want them to be erased. I wanted them to be up front and center. And um, in the book, I actually talk about gender 
before I actually do get to talking about orientation and things like that. But um, I think also, I think sometimes people with different, uh, we, I call them the gender expansive community. This is, you know, trans, non-binary, intersex, gender fluid, the whole shebang. Um, that this community is just so underrepresented in the conversation and so vilified in so many ways um, that it's nice just to be seen. One of the most beautiful pieces of feedback I got was um, in the front of the book, it says, for God's queer children. And someone, uh, I think it was on Twitter, was like, oh, it was nice to know someone wrote a book for me, you know? And, and it really is. It's written by a queer person for queer people in a very queer way, because a lot of these books center um, the church as the protagonist, the institution. So a lot of academic books will do that. They'll say, here's the church institution, and here's how it interacts with all these queer things coming around from the outside. And um, that's not what this book is about. This book centers the queer experience and the queer Latter-day Saints and says, well, we're already right here in the middle and we already fit in this whole narrative anyway. You just haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to show it to you. Um, and so I think that a lot of uh, people appreciated that, that, that it wasn't just objectifying them and it wasn't about um, the institution. It was about their lived experience as a Latter-day Saint, a queer Latter-day Saint in a lot of ways. I love that. And Episode 396 is Blair talking about being intersex and introducing that to listeners. It's a podcast with a ton of listens. And so please go to Blair's book, Blair's book, because I know she talks about it there. But this podcast, 396, is another good one. Um, just keep talking. Where would you like to go next? The next word on the book the title? Mormon. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, the Mormons. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I use the word Mormon. And that was that was a tricky call, right? Because um, in the last few months, year or so, um, with the pandemic, I'm losing track of time. Uh, but in the last while, uh, even the word Mormon has now become a little bit controversial. With some people have some very different opinions and ideas about what this word means and what where it should be used and where it shouldn't be used. Um, but I did end up choosing to use the word Mormon and to basically paraphrase that section of the book. There's a few reasons. One, Mormonism is bigger than the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There are many, many different Mormon sects. And um, I'm though I come from the Latter-day Saint tradition, a lot of these ideas apply way outside the Church of Latter-day Saints or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as well, because um, I also work with other fundamentalist groups, Mormon polygamists. I mean, if you can imagine being queer in the Latter-day Saint church, it's definitely going to be much more challenging for other more fundamentalists. And I wanted this to be able to reach more than just my Latter-day Saint community because other com Mormon communities need help too. So this isn't queer Latter-day Saint theology. This is queer Mormon theology. And the other reason I chose to use it is because um, I just really, really love the way Joseph Smith used the word Mormonism, and I quote it several times in here. Um, Mormonism, much or Mormon, like the word queer, 
started off as a derogatory term. It was not something we called ourselves. It was something that outside groups pointed at and called us and look at the Mormons, look at what they're doing with their Book of Mormon and their prophet, Joseph Smith. It was a derogatory term, just like the word queer. And what did Joseph Smith do when this happened? What did he say? And he said, Mormonism is truth. Let it come from wherever it will. Let's gather up all the bits and the truths in the world and make that Mormonism. And Mormonism can't totally be disavowed from the Latter-day Saint tradition either because it's in our scriptures and doctrine and covenants. Um, it's, it's said that Mormonism, uh, sorry, that the blood of Joseph Smith after he was martyred, the blood of Joseph Smith, let it be a sealed, a seal affixed upon Mormonism that his blood would seal this idea, that when he became a martyr, that this idea was so beautiful that it could never be completely erased or gone, that we carry this out in our hearts. And a lot of prophets, past and present, have had a lot of different ideas. Um, Gordon B. Hinckley had the idea that Mormon meant more good, and we had the Mormon, I am a Mormon campaign, and beautiful things like that. So I do say in the book, this is bigger than the Latter-day Saint tradition, and when I do use the word Mormon, I'm using it the way Joseph Smith did with high esteem, there's nothing derogatory, no malice in my tone or anything about it. I see it as something beautiful in our scriptures and something um, basically just following Joseph's footsteps in the way that he used the word Mormon. And um, lastly, I do use the word Latter-day Saints when I'm trying to talk specifically to a specific group of people who identify strictly as Latter-day Saints. And I also make the caveat in the book and I'm like, and if I use it in the wrong way, I, I apologize in advance. I really tried hard to speak to many different audiences while also maintaining and respecting, you know, Latter-day Saints want to be called this. Um, there are lots of other Mormons I'm talking to at the same time though. So I try to get it right most of the time. I'm sure I messed up a couple of times, but that's what, that's what grace is for. That's what forgiveness is for. And um, like, like, like the queer community, it's really important to respect people's labels. So I did the best I could to respect everyone's label, but to be clear at the same time and talk to more people than Latter-day Saints. But ultimately, this book is queer Mormon theology. It is not queer Latter-day Saint theology. That's very helpful. And I hope listeners see the word Mormon in there and don't think that Blair is trying to be rebellious or not supportive. I When I hear that definition, um, it helps me. And I think it helps us all just extend grace to people as we maybe get a first impression and then hear the full rationale, then we go, oh, I understand. So I that's helpful for me on why you chose that word. Uh, makes total sense. Um, talk and most people, once they read through the chapter, they kind of understand more what I'm saying. This isn't, you're exactly right. This isn't like, well, forget it, Latter-day Saints. I'm using the word Mormon. No, I want to respect your labels, but I'm also respecting everybody else's labels at the same time. And it's really tricky. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Do you want to talk about theology? Oh, absolutely. So with theology, I just clarify a little bit what I mean when I'm talking about theology, because um, in, in the Latter-day Saint tradition, we're not exactly used to explicitly doing theology. One of the things we're really good at we're really good at church history and we're really good at genealogy and telling stories and all sorts of things like that. We do a phenomenal job of all those things. But when it comes to theology, it kind of bleeds over into that history storytelling mode a little bit. But I wanted to make it explicitly clear that I am doing theology because it is our responsibility to think carefully and intentionally 
about the stories we are telling. You know, we're probably all reading the same scriptures, the, the, the quad, you know, we all got our quads and we're flipping through it. But the way we read and engage with our scriptures, the way we see the afterlife, the way we see our heavenly parents and all these things, um, we have to start taking responsibility for understanding how the way we read, interpret, and act has ramifications in the real world. So I wanted people to be very clear that right now what you are doing is theology now. This is theology work. This is not just, here's our scriptures. It's, well, here's our scriptures, and this is how I'm interpreting this. This is how I'm understanding this, and these are the stories I'm perpetuating or not perpetuating by interpreting them this way. And it's very important. It's very important because um, I think sometimes people think that theological narratives fall from the sky into the laps of idle participants and had no hand in their creation. But each of us has a hand in creation. Each of us is contributing to continuing revelation. This isn't just something that happens without participation in our, on our part. We are all participating in it. I, one line in the book that people are retweeting and talking about is that continuing revelation is the percolation of powerful ideas through a robust network. So continuing revelation isn't just one person over here making all the decisions for everyone. This person might have more keys. This person might be in charge and ultimately has the last and final say, but um we are all contributing to what questions the prophet is asking. We are all contributing to the culture in uh, how queer people are being treated in the church right now, even beyond um, any kind of policy. Like we are contributing to that. So I wanted to make it explicitly clear we're doing theology now, and you are a part of that. It's not something happening outside your control or without your subjective experience. You are actually doing it right now. And I wanted us all to do it. So that's how you get it queer, Mormon, and theology. That's what we're going to do in the book. That's very helpful. Just let, I would love to have you follow up with any examples on theology, just to take it from that level to sort of, because in just to help us understand it, if you want to or anywhere else you want to go, Blair. So the beautiful thing about this is that one of my friends, one of my dear friends, he's like, it's not an academic theology book. It's not exactly a memoir. He goes, oh, I know what it is. It's your testimony. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, well, talk to me more about that. And he said, well, basically... You're just telling us all the things that you believe. You tell your testimony frequently throughout the whole thing. And when you think about it, one of the most common examples of how we do theology is when we share our testimonies, the things we believe, the things that burn in our bosom, the things that make us get out of bed and go, oh, those, that's it right there. And one of the ways we do that, um, I know some people don't love fast and testimony meeting. It is my favorite. I love it. I feel like it is one of the most democratic ways we do theology because anybody can get up and bear the, the, bear the testimony that's in their heart. They get to say what they believe and we all get to partake and share in that. Um, it's not just, uh, you know, bearing one's testimony, sharing one's theology about what one believes. It's not just for an elite group of whoever. It's not just for people who are ordained or men who are ordained. This is for everyone. Everyone gets to go up and bear their testimony. And so the more I thought about this comment from this friend who was like, oh, it's really just you bearing your testimony. I thought, 
well, he's kind of right. He's not wrong because that's what we do as uh, Latter-day Saints. And as many other Mormons do, we take the scriptures, the things we read, the things we hear and the lessons and conference talks and everything. And then we develop this testimony, this framework, this theology of how we visualize ourselves in the world. And then on fast and testimony meeting, we just get to get up and say it. I love that. I think that's quite beautiful. That I, I hope fast and testimony meeting persists long, long into the future. It's my favorite. Even the weird testimonies and even the testimonies I disagree with. I want to hear those ones too, because I really think this is one of the ways we get to um, spur and instigate conversation, healthy, hopefully, conversation. Um, I remember one time for myself, I, I um or my testimony after the policy of exclusion in November, however many years ago this was, um, four or five years now, I don't know. But um, after the policy exclusion, and I bore my testimony that um, queer Latter-day Saints need your love and compassion and care more now, and more now than ever. And that this was deeply important and that you have, and I was not out to my ward at this time. And I said, um, they're in the pews with you. They're among us and we can't talk as if they aren't here. And it's very important that we love them as much as our heavenly parents love them right now. Anyway, after that testimony, my theology that, you know, my heavenly parents love me, I had so many people come up to me afterwards and want to engage in the conversation. And what it did is bearing the testimony, telling them my theology, what I believe um, about my understanding of Mormonism really led to some beautiful conversations and discussions that said, um, I had one woman come up to me. um, I suspect she had a queer child, but that did not come up. And she just had a ton of questions, just a ton of questions. Um, and you do this enough times to where you start to realize, I'm like, oh, I'm guessing they have a, a queer kid. Um, and then I had another one come up to me and say, hey, my brother's gay. He left the church a long time ago. I wish that he were here to hear these kinds of things and things like that. And we ended up having a nice conversation about understanding how I, I wish he could hear those things too. But if it's safer for him to be elsewhere, maybe that's what's most important is that he has a safe flourishing, fruitful life somewhere. Um, I had another Latter-day Saint after that testimony come up to me and say, thank you so much. This needs to be shared. Um, You know, people want to sweep this under the rug, you know, LGBTQ people like they're sinning, but we need to talk about it. And I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have a much different conversation (laughs) with that bit of feedback. So the beautiful thing about it is that when we bear our testimonies, that hopefully we're instigating and spurring very important conversation rooted in our commonalities and the spirit, but also working through some of those differences and working together. Um, And again, that's why the book also is called Queer Mormon Theology and Introduction, because it's not just an, people are like, oh my gosh, are you already working on the second one? I was like, that's not what that meant. I, I, I might work on the second one after enough feedback from this. I'm like, oh, I think I might have more to say about this. But no, the reason it's called an introduction is because it really is just a springboard. It's it's a starting off point. This is a communal endeavor. This is something we all participate in. This isn't me saying, hey, here's the queer canon. Nope. This is just, hey, some really important ideas and questions are posed in here. Let's talk about them. This is just the introduction. That's great. I'd love to have you talk to um, seminary teachers and institute teachers. You're talking to that group anyway. Um, 
that's a group because they're engaging with younger Latter-day Saints. This topic is um, coming up probably more than traditional congregations, although I don't want to say that's entirely true, but that's my experience. And they're looking for content um, to help navigate this space. Talk to the talk to seminary teachers, institute teachers, early morning seminary teachers. I guess it's anybody that's instructing our youth and just want to do better in this space. Are there parts of your book or just things you want to share, just you know, spur of the moment with that group? Absolutely. So one one of the things I get back from seminary teachers and I would also say BYU professors is that my understanding as well is that they are being this is this is on the kids' minds. This is on the student minds. The students really want to know where do queer people fit in the gospel other than, you know, we're all going to be fixed in the next life or whatever, which is not a happy narrative to tell. Um, So a lot of seminary teachers, I think, could also benefit from reading and understanding this because um, almost every other sentence has a scriptural footnote. It has, I wanted this to be deeply rooted in doctrine and something that is already there and recognize I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just reading you our own scriptures and they're already kind of inherently queer. Um, And so for a lot of seminary teachers, I think re-envisioning the way we understand and talk about the scriptures has been very beneficial and helpful and saying, here's a possibility. Here is something that let's read the scripture again and take a look at more closely. What What are they saying when God created man and woman, or what what about the rest of us who don't fit that description so neatly and things like that. So it's being able to introduce really interesting topics of discussion. And again, this isn't me claiming any queer canon authority. This is just me saying, look, in my queer experience, this is how I read the scripture. This is what it looks like to me. And I think there's a lot of space, especially for academia uh, at BYU or um, in seminary classrooms, that this is exactly the place we should be having these conversations to be able to say, you know, what? I read this scripture and this is what I got from it. I mean, we, I, I, I mean, it's been a long time for me since seminary, but um, some seminary for me, like the most important parts were not the parts about scripture mastery or being able to regurgitate information. It was when we were allowed to ask those hard questions, those difficult questions. And I very much understood very quickly, kids are smart, understood which teacher I could come to with my questions and which teacher I could not come to with my questions. Um, So I think for the most part, it'll be a helpful tool for a lot of people who work with the youth and are getting asked these questions a lot. Because again, it's not like, you know, this is the canon as far as like one way to interpret it. It's like, well, this is what one queer person is saying. And guess what? She's got a scripture reference for like every sentence. (laughs) I love that, Blair. And just a couple of thoughts. Um, We do do teach, and I deeply believe this, that the scriptures exist for us to receive personal revelation for us in our lives. And at different times in my life, I've read the same scripture and have had different given what's on my mind, I've had different thoughts come into my mind, especially as I transit from um, being single to being married and now being a father and even a grandfather. So I love that. And one of the podcasts that's upcoming is um, somebody who talked about who's queer and he talked, it's kind of close to your peculiar people 
he talked about how revelatory it was, and I actually get emotional, for him to read the words curious workmanship to describe the words that Nephi used to create the boat and how that boat was created unique than anybody had ever seen. And it was just personal revelation to him, being a queer Latter-day Saint, that that's him. And that who he is is uniquely created to fulfill a very important, unique purpose. But it's not a way that anybody had ever been seen before. And I just, I and you're smiling because I'm sure you've maybe considered that language and that part of the scriptures. But great beauty became out of curious workmanship. And I just love that, because um, I love the ability of the scriptures to heal hearts and bring hope and um, and to feel like if you're queer and if you're straight, that the scriptures have a way of reaching you to help you feel God's love and our heavenly parents' love. And a kind of a sister idea is an ally. The scriptures are actually helpful for me. I One of the most transformative scriptures for me was Nephi 10, 19. It was, For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that, to me, was the formula that I needed to take to become a better ally. Um, I had to diligently seek, and sort of queer people were a mystery to me because I didn't know if they fit in the plan. Why would God create someone queer? and some? But I recognized I needed to set aside my prior assumptions and diligently seek. And it was by the power of the Holy Ghost and listening to queer stories that were very helpful for me. So, you know, if they're allies listening (laughs) or parents uh, raising LGBTQ children or local leaders or queer people, I love what Blair is teaching, that this beautiful scriptures and these beautiful stories, sometimes it's the words in the stories, like curious workmanship, but sometimes it's the revelation you receive as you're reading, because the channel with your heavenly parents is just sometimes more open in those situations. Anyway, well, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, it's it, it's exactly what we've been taught like our whole lives to liken the scriptures unto ourselves, mm-hmm. to find ourselves in the scriptures, to find ourselves in these stories. And queer people have been doing this for a very long time out of necessity because no offense, Latter-day Saints haven't had the best track record administering to us. And so we had to learn to minister to ourselves and to each other. And so we've been reading the scriptures and doing these things. Um, There's this harmful narrative that, you know, queer people are over here and Latter-day Saints are over here and they're two separate categories. No, no, no. Some of us are the same category. And we see ourselves in the scriptures. We see ourselves in these stories and make sense of them in ways that I feel like really need to be heard. One of the, another beautiful piece of feedback I got was, um, from a wonderful trans woman who was like, Blair, you basically took all these ideas I had stirring in my head when I read the scriptures and just articulated them clearly so that other people could see the way we are reading the scriptures. This is how we see ourselves. It's not necessarily about how we point the finger and this is how you should fit in this and this is how you. It's not my job to tell you, Richard, how you read the scriptures and how you see yourself or find yourself. And queer people want to be granted that same level of autonomy that like, oh, this is this is what I needed out of this scripture. This is what I needed out of my scripture study today or out of that Sunday lesson or out of testimony, whatever it was. And putting that all together in a way that um, was 
Well, it's so funny. Another thing about the book is it's undeniably queer, but it's also undeniably Mormon. It is just, it, it's really unapologetically both because um, for so long, people have wanted to be like, you can either be this item or this item. And I will tell you, I definitely like the, the most critical feedback I have gotten has been from the polar extremities, the polar binaries about this. The one that says, if you want to be a Latter-day Saint, you have to forget being queer. And then over here, you have the queer person say, who's probably um, disaffected with the church in some way to say, well, if you want to be queer, you need to totally denounce Mormonism. And I just couldn't, I couldn't handle those binaries telling me I had to separate parts of myself, but when both live inside me. And so, um, this book really is for people who are okay with looking into something that's unapologetically Mormon and queer. If you are on those polar opposites where you're like, the church is evil, it's a cult, it will never be anything else, there's no queerness to be found there, da, da, da. this book is not for you. Um, if you're over here on the opposite side and queerness is simply a challenge to be overcome and in the next life, you will just be a cisgender straight person and that's all there is to it. Well, then this book isn't for you either, because this book is for people who are willing to hear that these two polar extreme positions, which I really think are the minority positions, um, these polar extreme positions um, don't take into account all the queer Latter-day Saints that exist right now, right? We have a testimony of our of our faith and of our queerness, that these two things can be compatible. So if you're not open to that possibility that these two things could be compatible, then this book is not for you. But if you are someone who is curious, wanting to learn more, wanting to understand, wanting to be stressed or stretched, not stressed, <laughs> stretched, um, then this book is for you. And I have received feedback also from people who are like, um, this book stretched me. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to look at that scripture that way. And there are some people who are even like, yeah, I didn't agree with that. And that's actually part of the process. Like, it's really okay. I don't expect people to pick up this book and be like, yes, I agree with every word she said. Although I do want you to think that. <laughs> but no, if you have a different experience or a different way of interpreting these things, then bring that to the table too. This isn't for you to be like, this is the one set way. Because then we just start contributing to a new polar extremity that has no room for anything in between. So anybody who's looking for line upon line, precept upon precept, further light and knowledge, continuing revelation, all those beautiful Mormon tenants, then this book is definitely for you. I like that, Blair. And I say the same thing with my book. I I don't want it to be the type of book where I'm ex hoping or expecting everybody agrees. Same with this podcast. This is just the podcast platform is LGBTQ stepping forward and sharing their stories or their books. And the goal is to bring us together the same human family, not necessarily to agree on every detail. So I, I give people space in this podcast, not to agree with everything every guest says, but we're all trying to do the best we can in this complicated space. And I love the way you frame that up. There's a lot of grace in that, but there's also a, an invite to engage in the topic. I love now that I'm looking at some old slides, I just, for listeners that aren't familiar with um, some of my thoughts in this, one of my favorite quotes is, if I can find it real quick, and I don't want to spend, um, it's sort of this open to be learning. Um, it's Elder Uchtdorf from a worldwide training. Um, 
We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? And I've just loved the visual of the massive iron gate because it resonates with me, listeners, as I, you know, my story is step in the space is having preached the responsibility for a couple of gay Latter-day Saints. And the reality of the massive iron gate of what I didn't know um, became very evident and my desire not to add to the burden and lift burdens and connect people with the hope of the atonement increased. And I just and then I saw, just like you are talking, Blair, I didn't see LGBTQ people as this different community that sort of posed a threat. I just saw them as our own people. And when you make that shift, everything changes. When you no longer talk about queer people as this outside group of people, but you think about them as your own family, your own people at church, the people you have responsibility for, you, my friend Blair, here on my Zoom screen, everything changes. And you know that, and that's why I love your your work and your book to share your story. Um, I love that so much. I That ties in so nicely with Chapter 3. Can I share yes. some stuff from Chapter 3 about Christ it. and the Atonement? Yes. Okay, perfect. I love what you're saying about this idea of not having to agree on everything and not have to be the same. Because I think sometimes in Latter-day Saint culture, we mistake disagreement with contention or the spirit is leaving. And um, I love what it says about the body of Christ in Corinthians, because it talks specifically in the body of Christ that each part of the body is different for a reason to increase functionality. It says an eye isn't a foot and a foot isn't supposed to be your hand or anything else. We have all these diverse body parts precisely so we can increase the functionality of the entire body. So we aren't going to have all the same talents and gifts. We aren't going to always agree on things, but, um, the body of Christ isn't run on homogenization, it's run on its diversity. And it's really important that we start looking at our diversity, again, approaching these things with kindness and compassion, but looking at our diversity as um, something specific by design, not something to overcome. We are different and that's okay. It's supposed to be that way. I love that. Also moving forward, so besides being diverse in the body of Christ, one of the sections of the book I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from um, is I have a section uh, about becoming queer in Christ and how we become queer in Christ. Um, and it talks a lot about the atonement. So when Christ went into Gethsemane, Christ didn't just suffer the sins of men. He didn't just suffer the sins of women. He ascended below all things to experience and know all things. The, the, the broadness and bigness of the atonement and um, the overwhelmingly huge experience of taking on the sins of the world in Gethsemane isn't something that we can dismiss as non-queer. And here's why. When Christ was in Gethsemane, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he experienced pregnancy, he experienced childbirth, he experienced menstruation, um, he experienced the Holocaust, he experienced racism, he experienced being denied at the border, a migrant mother being denied at the border. Jesus experienced 
every imaginable injustice, pain, sorrow, suffering, any physical ailment, cancer. He experienced both testicular cancer and breast cancer and ovarian cancer. He experienced it all. And so Jesus may have walked into Gethsemane as he, but after experiencing every pain and experience imaginable, gendered or otherwise, he's no longer just he or even she. Jesus becomes they. It's a plural experience that encompasses all of us. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We read more in Corinthians, and what does Paul say about Jesus? Jesus invited each of us to join him in the body of Christ, that we are to take on all these things with Christ. And not only that, to do the things that Jesus has done. As disciples of Jesus, we join him in Christ. So if we revisit the atonement, if we revisit all those things that happened in Gethsemane, Christ is no longer just he, it's not she, it's not even they anymore. Christ is a we. We become one in Christ with Jesus together. And one of the examples of that, which people love this paragraph, and I love it too, I'll read it. Um, So as previously mentioned, There are diverse traumas that Jesus experienced while in Gethsemane. However, I want you to read that paragraph again. But instead of reading the paragraph as he experienced these things, I want you to read it as we experience those things, as we take on the name of Christ and become participants of Christ ourselves. In Gethsemane, we experience the pains of a person dying of cancer. We experience what it's like to be a queer kid constantly bullied. We experience the birthing pains of every mother who lived or would live. We experience the embarrassment of a gay boy having an erection at the side of his high school crush in the locker room. We experience conversion therapy. We experience rejection. We experience the brutal physical and psychological attacks trans women endure every day. We experience the acid poured on a woman's face for her defiance to patriarchs. We experience the fear, grief, and sorrow of every parent who has buried their child. We experience sex slavery. We experience our first period. We experience menstruation, not simply from a vagina, but from every pore of our body. We experience rape. We experience catcalls. We experience hunger. We experience disease. We experienced an ectopic pregnancy. We experienced an abortion. We experienced a miscarriage and stillbirth. We experienced the Holocaust. We experienced war, both the killing and being killed. We experienced internment camps, depression, anxiety, suicide. We experienced sleeping on the streets with the homeless. We experienced the slave master's whip on our back and a noose around our neck. We knew the fear of every black mother who kissed her son before he left the house, praying he would return home safely. We experience the effects of unrighteous dominion, corrupt politicians, and all manner of injustices. We experience the migrant mother with no food for her diapers or, or sorry, no food or diapers for her baby as she desperately walked north in search of a better life. We experienced having our child taken away at the border due to legal complications. We experience it all. Every death, every cut, every tear, every pain, every sorrow, every bit of suffering imaginable and beyond human imagination. We experienced an onslaught of suffering that was so great it took a God to bear it. We experienced death 
and come through the other side to show ourselves the way. And that paragraph really has meant a lot to people because sometimes we have a hard time internalizing the grandness of the atonement and the all-encompassing uh, experience that it is. And then we look at it as something that happened over there and it's over and done with. Jesus took care of all that. Well, yes, but he then right afterward invited us all to partake and be a part of this with him, to be able to experience the fullness of humanity and atone with one another and reconcile with one another. This is a beyond queer experience that we're all sharing in together. And I just think it's really important that when we take the sacrament every day and we think about becoming one with Christ, what that really means and what we can do about that right now. I love that, um, Blair. And, and listeners, when I hear something new, Blair taught some examples there that I've never thought of. I've learned to kind of let that sit with me for a little bit. I've learned that sometimes something that even makes me feel uncomfortable, and I was not uncomfortable with what you said, I learned to kind of sit with that for a little bit and think about the doctrine and the implications of what you said. And the doctrine to me is Christ descended below all things and the healing power of the atonement that he's always paid the price. And we went, went through all those that aren't sin-related. Everything you went through, there's no sin involved. It's just all the pains that come into life, that many that I've never even thought of. And when you think about that and the completeness of that, but when you apply it in those real-life things, to me, it makes the atonement more applicable in my life when Blair lists that list, just like you said, and said, okay, I, this isn't some theoretical abstract concept. You know, he, this applies to me and the, and I think we're all a little wounded. And I think we all, um, mortality is just really hard. COVID's been hard. It's just, life is hard at 60 with, in some ways, not a very hard life I've had. I'm just aware of how much pain is out there and the role of the atonement. So I love that, and I love the doctrine that's the foundation of what you just said. We're kind of coming to the end, so I'd love to have you just do one last segment on anything you want to do. Yeah, um, I think maybe something that's applicable to your listeners is a lot of feedback I've been getting from people who have a queer loved one and are active Latter-day Saints and want to be more involved. They're like, great, all these queer stories and ideas, Blair, but what can I do, right? Um, at the In the last chapter of the book, in the very last section, I list out 15 concrete ways that you can do, or you can, ways you can be more inclusive right now. It doesn't have to do anything to do with reframing your policy or theology. You don't have to ordain anyone or anything. This is just things every person can start doing right now. And I'd love to just list off a few of them. Do Please. you want all 15 or just I a few? I think go for 15. We're doing all 15. Let's do it, folks. Um, number one, you one of the best things you can do is educate yourself on the latest developments. Just be aware of what's going on and cognizant of um, the climate and what the brethren are saying and what church leaders are saying. So, for example, you brought up um, Sharon Eubank and introducing her queer friend. Yes, wonderful, huge, beautiful step. Um, we have someone in a position of leadership and authority using the word queer in a very non-derogatory way. So just stay on top of queer things. Just be involved and understand that, you know, language and the way people are engaging does change. Um, number two, 
create space for honest discussion. This one is like great for BYU professors and seminary teachers or anyone working, young men, young women, is um, being able to facilitate those spaces for honest discussions. Um, a lot of queer youth may not be comfortable doing that because they're afraid of negative backlash or not being affirmed just affirm people in their queer experiences. That's the beauty of it. Like your experience or their experience, that's the one thing you get to be an expert on. They are the expert of their queer experience. So that should be easy to affirm. That is their queer experience. It's legitimate, just as legitimate as anybody else's experience. So affirming people, the great way to facilitate place for positive, constructive conversation. Number three, say heavenly parents say it as much as possible. Heavenly Parents is already um, a great culturally acceptable way to be able to include um, Heavenly Mother. And that's always, hey, any day we get to include Heavenly Mother is a good day. <laughs> so say Heavenly Parents as much as possible. Everyone has the potential to become like our Heavenly Parents. It's not just boys, it's everyone. Everyone has that potential. So Heavenly Parents. Number four, acknowledge queer youth. Queer people are in the room. You have uh, you you can um, you can ignorantly maybe injure someone deeply by assuming you're talking about someone when they're not in the assuming they're not in the room with you. Queer people are in the room. They're in gospel doctrine with you. They're in the pews with you. They are in um, young men, young women with you. They're in primary with you. Queer people are with you everywhere you go. So acknowledge that queer people are there. And when you do, you may find that the things you say may change a little bit. So you can do that. Number five, um, talking about women and the priesthood. This is a great one. And a lot of general authorities have already started talking about the priesthood independent of ordination and how all of us can carry um, priesthood power and to be able to engage in these things. Um, one of the reasons I also like to encourage it because it always keeps open the idea of um, continuing revelation. If the day ever did come that um, the general authorities were like, hey, it's time to ordain women. We're finding that this could be very beneficial to our organization and help build up the gospel. You know, now's the time. Um, if that day were to ever occur, it would be really great to have prepared the young women, prepared the women to understand um, the priesthood authority they already have and what that would look like in the future. Um, again, uh, revelation doesn't come to idle participants. It comes to eager and willing hearts who are ready to serve when the call is called. Uh, number six, include queer adults as much as you can. Um, this is a really tricky one because um, some of the damaging cultural narratives um, have really divided queer youth and queer adults in some ways that I have been have been really harmful. And, and here's why: the youth are smart. If they don't see any queer adults left in the church or don't see queer adults being talked about in a positive light, they are learning that to become a queer adult is to be rejected from their community. There isn't a future for them there if they can't see patterns of people like themselves. So including queer adults is hard because one of the things I've done for myself as a queer person with a queer daughter is I don't want to pass my trauma to her. 
I want to, I want to be able to create a space where she understands queer joy way more than she understands queer drama. And so as a queer adult, how, what is the thing I can best do to prepare myself to be able to be an example to queer youth? For me, it's involved a lot of therapy and a lot of processing trauma and getting to a place where I can show her what queer joy looks like. Now, when people in the church invite me to speak at functions or to give lectures, usually about like intersex issues, just to get you know, accurate information out there. When you include queer adults, you're telling queer youth, well, look, there is a future for you. One of the biggest problems um, during the 80s and 90s, during the uh, AIDS epidemic, is that queer people who were jettisoned out of their homes and put into very risky situations in which they contracted AIDS and other things like that, is that people engage in kids, youth, young adults engage in these risky behaviors because they don't see themselves living past their 20s. They don't see themselves having a healthy future. They don't see these things. So the more you can include queer adults, even if it's just a testimony or a prayer or anything, you're telling these children, you have a future. It doesn't have to be over here in risky behaviors, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all those things. Those are just symptoms. That's not part of being queer. Those are just symptoms of trauma of trauma. You have a life beyond your 20s. It doesn't have to be all live life real hard because it's all going to crash and burn. We need to tell them a better story. So that's why you need to include queer adults (laughs) and all these uh, things. Number seven, host a fireside. This is great. I've seen so many people do this and um, they've been really terrific. It's really about um, creating spaces where people can ask those questions, have those conversations. And again, include queer people, include queer youth, include queer adults. Um, I like to remind people that um, to be LGBTQ inclusive, you actually have to include us. You can't just talk about being inclusive and you can't just talk about us being inclusive. You have to actually do it. Um, So that's a great way to do it during firesides, which is really terrific. There isn't a shortage of queer people out here ready to come bear their testimony. If you think there is, I will connect you with someone. Um, Number eight, Oh, this is great too, to include women in the high council speaking circuit. This is a great one. And a lot of um, stakes have already started doing this, including the Relief Society, Young Women's President. And this is great because you're just getting more diverse perspectives about what people need. So often I get calls from like, Um, young women's leaders. I'll even get some from stake leaders sometimes. And um, there's a lot to be shared outside of um, the high council. And the high council is terrific. I love that. It's one of the best ever. But including some of the women leaders on that circuit really helps give uh, an opportunity to minister to more diverse audiences. Um, Number nine, if you are a youth leader, you can do combined activities. Now, combining activities is a great way to include trans, intersex, and non-binary youth who may not feel comfortable attending um, uh, uh, gender-segregated functions. So um, for one youth who was in young women's, but identifies as non-binary, it can be really tricky to be able to feel included when everything is on a binary system. But when you combine youth activities and gender doesn't have to really be a part of it, that's a great way to include youth who um, are somewhere in that gender expansive spectrum. Uh, So yeah, combine activities as much as you can. Recognize we're all children of God. We're all here to worship, love, and spend time together. 
And um, it doesn't always have to be gender segregated when it doesn't have to, you know, encourage that. Um, number 10, this is just a very simple one everyone should be doing right now. Just respect someone's gender identity. Just use their pronouns and use their name. And the great thing is, um, in a lot of places, they uh, um, allow trans people to have their preferred name or their or their new legal name on the church list, on the church roster. And that right there is suicide prevention. Using someone's name and pronouns, using their correct names and pronouns, not the ones you've given them, but the ones they've given themselves, that right there is suicide prevention. And that's something you could start doing right now. Super easy peasy. Um, number 11. Okay, we can teach that women are more than mothers. This one is very personal to me. Um, as an intersex person um, with a really weird uterus, again, you can go listen to the other episode um, I did with Richard about um, being intersex, is I was very much taught um, implicitly, mostly, that um, my value as a human being was tied to my uterus, that my defective uterus meant there was something defective with me, that to be a woman was to have a functioning uterus. And I did not have that. And um, when we teach that women are more than mothers, it's not that motherhood is bad. It's not that it's not beautiful or wonderful. I have three kids myself through the miracle of modern technology. I have three kids. Motherhood is amazing. But just teaching people that their self-worth doesn't depend on reproductive utility. This is so important for people and just not even intersex people like me, but just for people who struggle with fertility. You are so much more than your biological utility to reproduce. You are so much more. We have people serving in all different kinds of capacities. So especially for women who are very often taught how wonderful motherhood is, which it's great. I'm a big fan myself. Um, there's more than motherhood. That, that may be a part of it, but for some people, that may not be a part of it. That's not the body they were given or maybe the desires they were given. So that's number 11. Number 12, um, we can hold special workshops. These ones have been great too. Um, the workshops that I've participated in usually are just about getting out accurate information. They're a little bit different than the firesides. Um, firesides are great too, but workshops can be so helpful. Um, I'm actually giving a workshop next month on intersex bodies and intersex issues just to get out basic current information to people who are just like, I don't know what's going on. You know what? I would be happy to run a workshop with you and just explain the basics of medical terminology and how it all works because it's really important just to be educated about the things we're talking about. So you can hold a workshop, easy peasy. Um, number 13, which is a great one because it applies to everyone, including the queer community, is to stay humble. One of the most beautiful things ever is to be able to tell someone, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. It's okay not to have all the answers all the time or to know how everything's going to work out. Um, I don't know is a beautiful way to say, you know what? I have a lot more to learn and I'm eager to learn more from others. And maybe together we can know more. So I don't know, doesn't necessarily be a way to dismiss anyone's concerns because sometimes I don't know can be used that way. I don't know. It'll all work out in the end. Not that kind of, I don't know. We're looking for, I don't know. Let's learn more together. Let's figure this out together. 
uh, number 14. So number 14 was a tricky one for me. And this actually was suggested to me by someone else who had um, left the church. And I actually think it's a really important point. And number 14 is learn to let them go. Sometimes it's important to recognize for a queer person, especially a queer youth, that while I argue for an all-inclusive, you know, Mormon theology, sometimes church is just not safe for some queer people. And I'll give a personal example. I think I might have given this example before, is that I used to struggle deeply with depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And I would have panic attacks when I attended church. And um, I had a really severe panic attack one day after someone said something very queer agonistic at gospel doctrine. It wasn't just implicit. It wasn't just ignorance. It was, it was, it was with the intent to dismiss and hurt. And, um, I went out to my car and I had a panic attack and I could not breathe. I could not catch my breath. And I had confirmation from my heavenly parents that they said to me, they said, Blair, you can't feel the spirit if you can't breathe. It's okay not to be at church right now. You can't do all the things we have prepared for you if you're dead. It's more important for you to be happy, flourishing, and healthy. We know the intentions of your hearts, and that's what matters most. And so in a weird way, we're not used to like, you know, the spirit told me it was okay not to be at church right now. But that's exactly what the spirit told me because it was very important for me to be healthy. So number 14 might be hard for some people, but it's also very important. It is more important for your queer child to have a life outside the church than to be thinking about killing themselves in church. That's not, that's not how, that's, that's not how faith should work. And then number 15 is, is, is the winner of all. It's to love, 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 love always start from love, move forward with love, end with love, and try to figure out exactly what that looks like. I think so often we think, oh, I'm doing this thing because I love you, but you have to take into account how the other person feels about that. For example, if my husband comes to me and he starts buying me soccer apparel and soccer cleats, and he's telling me, I love you, I love you, I love you, I want you to have this awesome soccer uniform and become a soccer fan, all those things. I'm like, babe, 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 I'm just not a soccer fan. I'm just not into that. That's not really, like, I get what you're trying to do and I appreciate that, but that's not how I experience love. You know what I do experience love from? Get me a stack of philosophy textbooks. Oh my gosh, that's love. (laughs) You know what I mean? So we all experience love differently. So when we say to love each other and love wins, we have to take into account how the other person is experiencing our gift of love. If you're punching someone in the face and saying, I'm doing it because I love you, I don't think that other person is feeling love right now. They're feeling something else and it's not love. So love is a two-way street. Yes, love is your intention, but it's also how it's received. And we always need to think about both. Great list of 15. I'm really glad we went through all of those because each of those are helpful and will reach people in a unique way. So I'll just tell, we'll close now, Blair, but just tell our listeners um, where to get your book. Yeah, you can get my book on Amazon. It's available on Kindle. It's available on paperback. And it just came out on audiobook, which is amazing um, and has always been really important to me, too, because not everyone can sit down and read a book. And um, some people will lead really 
busy lives. So you can get it on audiobook now and you can sit and listen to me yap in your ear for five hours about queer stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad it's there on Amazon reading the reviews. Um, you've got great reviews and um, people are buying this book. There's a real need for it. So Blair Osler, thank you for being on the podcast and your unique and beautiful work to bring us together as the same human family. And this is Richard and Blair signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.